I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 142 in which I talk emphasis and focal point with Jay. And I am actually posting this a few days before it's being uploaded. This is um, going to be posted on Sunday, January 12th, 2014. And I want to start out by saying, of course, thank you to everybody for listening and welcome to any new listeners who are out there. I always appreciate some new folks coming and joining the conversation. I want to give um, thanks for everybody who has posted reviews on iTunes in whatever country's version of iTunes that you use. It, that's always appreciated by me and any other podcaster that is out there. I'm going to... Um, just do a couple of announcements and then get right into the content of this episode because Jay and I had a fairly long conversation, so I don't want to add a whole lot to it. The quick announcement first is that as you're listening to this, I'm actually probably, quite possibly, still in a car driving home. Um, I will be and or have been <laughs> in uh, Massachusetts for the weekend for at a speaking engagement for work and I'm driving home on Sunday, but thankfully due to the fact that Jay and I were actually finally able to get our schedules together and we were able to have one big marathon recording session um, last week, I am able to post this interview for your listening pleasure while I'm even away from my home and my desk and my computer. So for that reason, I am only going to be doing the introduction to this episode, but I'm not going to be doing any listener feedback because as of me recording this introduction, it's only been one day since I posted my last episode. So I'm going to give you all a little more time to talk to me and I will catch up with listener feedback on the next episode. I do have one quick tip I want to share with you because this weekend I, as I was rummaging through my drawers, if you remember in the last episode, I mentioned that I had gone through a lot of my drawers and was um, making a list to myself of things that I had inherited from mom already owned uh, that I really wanted to make sure I tried to use. I, you know, it would be great if I could just empty out all my supplies this year um, and have to replace with new because God knows how old some of that stuff is. <laughs> but in any case, one of the things I ran across that I completely forgot, I had actually gotten as part of a package with some other stuff in it. I had a package of the Bonash iron cleaner sheets. Um, again, I had not gone out to purchase these specially. They had come with something else I'd bought. I probably from the Bonash vendor when I was in Houston at one point. Um, these are, they look an awful lot like dryer sheets and they're used to clean your iron. And I have to say, uh, cheap dryer sheets work as well. Um, and they are cheaper. So I would, if you were kind of looking at those Bonash iron cleaner sheets, I would give it a pass. Just go to the grocery store, buy yourself the cheapest dryer sheets possible. They work beautifully. I've been using those for a long time. Um, I'm going to keep using the Bonash iron sheets that I have just to use them up, but they're, they're nothing I'm going to be running out and replacing because, again, I use those cheap dryer sheets. All I do is, well, sometimes I actually do do it when my... <laughs> 
<laughs> iron is hot if I've just gotten something on it and really need to clean it off right away. Uh, but usually I will do it when I first turned on the iron and I don't do it that often because my iron doesn't get that dirty. But once in a while I will go ahead and just clean off the bottom of the iron. Um, I turn on the iron, I wait maybe a minute or two so that it's warm but not hot. And then I just crunch up a dryer sheet and rub it over the dryer sheet, uh, rub it over the sole plate. The other way you could do it, of course, which is much less risky to your fingertips, is to lay the dryer sheet down on your ironing table, um, ironing board. You might want to put a paper towel or a piece of fabric or something underneath. Well, I don't know about fabric, scrap, um, or a pressing sheet or whatever you want to use underneath it. Um, and then just iron your iron over the top of it. For whatever reason, I'm just in the habit of scrunching it up in my fingers and very quickly <laughs> rubbing off the iron. And I've never actually burned myself that way. Um, so anyway, that's the tip of this episode is those Bonash iron cleaner sheets are not all that in a bag of chips. They're not worth the money. Just go out and buy really cheap dryer sheets. They will work as well. And yes, you can probably get unscented ones too. I don't know how cheaply the unscented ones come. Um, I happen to have scented ones because I think they smell good. I like the smell of clean laundry. Um, okay, so that's your tip for the episode. And I also have an addition. I've decided I'm going to have two winners for my 2014 Quilty Resolutions because I just renewed my membership to the Quilt Show and therefore I have now a free gift certificate for a six-month membership to share with somebody. So I'm going to declare two winners to the Quilty Resolutions. One will get the fabric that's already up there. The second person will get a free gift certificate for a six-month membership to the Quilt Show. So I will... Um, update the blog, uh, or to the, I'm sorry, the show notes to the Quilty Resolution episode uh, with that information on there. If you happen to win the free gift certificate and you're already a member, I believe you might be able to share it with somebody else. I don't know how many times you can pass these <laughs> gift certificates around. Um, but when I renewed my membership, I realized I had free gift certificates in the past that I'd never used, never, I tend to forget I even have them. So this time I'm actually going to give it away. Um, so those are all of my announcements. Again, I'm not going to be doing any listener uh, feedback. I'm not doing a Sandy update because, you know, again, it's only been a day since I recorded my last episode, so not much of an up, uh, update. I will hopefully, however, have one for my next episode because um, whenever I'm away for a whole weekend for work, I get a comp day, so I will have a day off next week. Um, and I'm hoping if I'm not too, too tired to actually get some more progress done on some quilt projects. So should have more to talk about in the future. So that being said, it is now time to turn our attention back to our design series with Jay. And this is Jay Lapache, if I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, uh, who is of Art Quilt Maker fame. All of us on Twitter certainly know her as at Art Quilt Maker. Uh, you can also find her on her website at artquiltmaker.com. I will be posting a link to her blog in this episode. I cannot, however, post a direct link to the blog post she will be making directly about this episode because that's not going to go live until this episode does, and we already know I'm not going to be at my computer. Um, so I will be just linking to her blog in general, uh, but do make sure if you listen to this episode sometime after immediately, make sure you go to find her blog post specifically related to this episode because she always posts a lot of great information um, to supplement or just to uh, reinforce what's on this episode. So with no further ado, I am now presenting to you my conversation with Jay of Art Quilt Maker fame 
about the design principles, emphasis, and focal point. Okay, it's been a long, long time, but we are finally together again, Jay and I, and we're doing another episode on design. Jay, yes, it has been a while. What are we talking about today? Hi, Sandy. Yeah, I was trying to think of the last time that we talked, and I can't even remember, but today I decided we'll just move forward, and uh, we're going to talk about emphasis, which is sometimes called focal point today. Okay, great. All right, so let's walk into this with, um, you know, do you have any background information or just want to jump right into definitions? Um, well, there's a couple of things about emphasis that I wanted to point out. It's We're getting into the principles and elements, mostly the principles that are related to other principles and elements, and you really can't talk about the upcoming ones without talking about other ones. So emphasis focal point is related to size and scale, which we did several months ago. So I hope people will go back and take a look at that one. So they've got that in their head. They can either listen to your podcast, as your fabulous listeners know, or they can just read the notes on my blog. Um, and I have dominance listed separately in my outline, which your listeners can't see, but it's in the process. Um, but we can't really talk about emphasis and focal point without talking about dominance. So consider this episode relating to an upcoming upcoming episode on dominance, which will probably be two or three down the road. Okay, good. So with that said, <laughs> I want to tell you that emphasis is a principle of design, and we'll just jump right into the definitions. Okay, great. So, I mean, I think most of us have an idea in our mind of what emphasis is. An emphasized element of your design is a focal point. <laughs> which is kind of not a very good definition, but it emphasis creates a focal point in a design. It brings attention to what is most important in a design. So they're similar but not the same. Your focal point is the thing that you look at, and in order to make people look at it, if you're not there to stand by your quilt and say, hey, look at this, you use, you emphasize that element. So you could say you're making a storm at sea quilt that's blue and white, but one of your units is red. Well, you've emphasized your focal point by making it red, okay. if that makes sense. All right. I think it will all become even more clear as we go on, but yeah, I think that gives a good visual to people. Yeah. Emphasis is what catches the eye and makes the viewer stop and look at your image. Without emphasis, without getting the viewer to look at the image, communication can't occur. So this can happen pretty easily with standard block quilts. If you make all of your blocks in the same fabrics and size of the blocks is all the same, you don't have anything in the quilt to create a focal point. But as I said, if you make one of the blocks red, then you've instantly created a focal point. Uh, but emphasis can be achieved not only through the use of color, but also value, intensity, size, and scale, as well as other design elements. And it gives interest to one entity or area over others in your design field. And you might emphasize things, but a focal point isn't always created. 
a focal point attracts the viewer as a point of emphasis. It encourages the viewer to look farther. So emphasis encourages the viewer to look farther, which might bring you to the focal point if they're separate. So maybe this will help. A focal point results when one element differs from the others. Like I said, our red Sturmitzi unit. Whatever interrupts an overall feeling or pattern automatically attracts the eye by this difference. When most of the elements are dark, a light form breaks the pattern and becomes a focal point. When almost all the elements, whether light or dark, are vertical, a diagonal element is emphasized. In an overall design of distorted expressionistic forms, like quilt blocks, for example, the sudden introduction of a naturalistic image will draw the eye for its very different style. So I saw a quilt that when I was doing this in one of the books that I'm using um, that was sort of a, a checkerboard in blue and kind of an orangey yellow, but more yellow. And in the middle of it was a painted apple. <laughs> so that's what this is talking about. Not that your quilt blocks are distorted because you ironed them too much, but they're not natural designs. They're uh, abstract. So when many elements are about the same size, similar but unexpectedly smaller ones become visually important. Or when the majority of the shapes are rectilinear and angular parallelograms, round shapes will stand out. The list could go on and on. A change in color or a change in brightness can immediately attract our attention. I mean, you could you could think, I know people are thinking, oh, yeah, if I make a tree with really big leaves, but then there's some small ones, those are, are going to be emphasized, and that's true. Although with small and large, it usually, the, the small ones might get lost if you don't make them a different color or use something else to bring them out. So that's, that comes back to where you were talking about emphasis can lead to focal points. So if you have an art quilt, for example, where you have a smaller element that you want to be the focal point, you can juxtapose the large versus small thing by maybe having that small thing be much brighter or positioned in such a way that other visual elements lead to it. And that could be the emphasis versus focal point part. Am exactly. I understanding that? Okay. Yes, exactly. That was very well said. <laughs> I'm just designing quilts in my mind while, <laughs> while you're talking, so wanted to know I was designing the correct quilts. Good. That's my entire goal. <laughs> okay, so using emphasis and focal points, there's a whole bunch of different ways, and we talked a little bit about some of them, and I'm going to go into that a little, a little more. And some of... Um, what I'm going to talk about uses examples from art. So it, as I've mentioned before, it's really good to go to museums with some of these things in your mind and just look around. Even places like aquariums, you can, you can see how they've arranged the tanks using some of these principles or elements. So in using emphasis and focal points, an unnatural contrast of scale in your quilts can be used to achieve interesting effects. If you think about surrealists such as Salvador Dali, he used wildly confused internal proportions 
to intentionally create uneasiness in the viewer, one element that is purposefully out of scale with the other elements will attract the viewer's attention and become a focal point. So Salvador Dali is the guy who used these weird kind of distorted clocks and things flying around and one of them would be the focal point. It was sometimes hard to figure out what that was, but usually he made it bigger or positioned it in such a way where you couldn't miss it. If you, in quilt world, if you have a large mariner's compass in the middle of the quilt, the mariner's compass will be the focal point. And that's true for a lot of round robin type quilts or medallion type quilts where something is clearly in the middle that's different from everything else. But if you do a medallion quilt and you have a mariner's compass in the middle, you might make some of the borders or other pieces triangly or have a lot of triangles that will emphasize the focal point. Basically, they'll, they'll be directional arrows. They'll point your eye towards what you want that focal point to be. Yeah, that, that can be true. Or just being there, maybe the same color as those mariner's, punk, mariner's compass spiky triangles will say, hey, I'm the same color as those. Look at that thing. Right. Okay. So one problem for the quilt maker is how to achieve both variety and unity. See, we, we're bringing up stuff we've talked about before. I've heard those words before. <laughs> yeah, you're all pros. Just adding different elements to the composition, maybe with the idea of creating a focal point, can destroy its unity. Adding elements that are similar but different from each other can add interest without upsetting the unity of the whole. If one of the variations of a chosen element is in high contrast to the rest, it could create a focal point. So again, with the blue and white Storm at Sea quilt, you put a red block in and you've created a focal point without destroying the unity. And I don't mean to say that you're only allowed to use contrast as a focal point. Um, just use something to differentiate that area or section from the rest of the piece. In, in our Storm at Sea example, you could make one of the blocks a lot bigger. That would also create a focal point without destroying the unity. So in this case, we're using the term contrast not in terms of how we typically think of, you know, color contrast or it's really any sort of differentiation that stands out. Um, no, in this example, we are using contrast like a two-color quilt kind of way. So, um, and what I meant was the examples that I've used with the Storm at Sea quilt have to do with contrast. Right. So the red stands out from the blue. That has to do with color. And I didn't want people to think that color was the only way you could create a focal point. Right. There's actually a bunch of different ways. And one of them is emphasis by contrast. And you're going to see this again when we talk about contrast in a few episodes. So very often in art, the pictorial emphasis is clear. And in simple composition, such as a portrait, the focal point is obvious. But the more complicated the pattern, the more necessary or helpful a, fo 
a focal point may become in organizing the design. So in a portrait, the person is the focal point. In a one-block quilt, there isn't a focal point unless you create one, like adding a different color or changing the size or maybe adding some applique or something like that. Um, so there's also emphasis by isolation. An element alone in a part of a design immediately gets our attention, even if there are many of the same shape in another part of the design. So we talked about this in balance, where you have a really big circle in the bottom left-hand corner of your quilt, which is alone, except in the upper right-hand corner, there's a whole bunch of smaller circles. That's what emphasis by isolation means. Although you have to be careful because a focal point that is too close to an edge will have a tendency to pull the viewer's eye right out of the picture. So often people will just put on borders on a quilt to make it bigger, but sometimes if you carefully put, carefully consider the design and you put a border on, it can keep the viewer's eye in the quilt and not let it drop off. Right, it keeps you visually contained. Yes. That border does, yeah. Yeah, I've seen quilts one way or the other where I either thought it could benefit from a border or it didn't really need the border it had. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a design, in a painting, usually the paintings are framed, and there's a reason for that. If you've ever looked at some of the really ornate gold frames that are hanging in museums, I mean, those frames were specially made often for the paintings to keep the viewer in that painting. So there's, there's also emphasis by placement. If many elements point to one item, our attention is directed there and a focal point results. A radial design is a perfect example of this device. So again, imagine a mariner's compass with a fleur-de-lis in the center circle. That fleur-de-lis becomes your focal point and all of those skinny triangles, even though they're not pointing to it with their pointy end, they are surrounding it and making it the focal point. There's also emphasis by value. Value contrast can be used to create a focal point in the composition. High contrast like red and white quilt, so only red and white, will attract the viewer's attention. So there's, there's also structure to be considered when you're using emphasis and focal point. There are four different major types of structure. You might remember this from brief overview we did in the balance segment. There's focus structure, which has to do with placing elements of a design in such a way that the eye of the viewer focuses on it. You can create focus by establishing the difference between the featured shape and its setting. So remember the quilt I talked about with the apple? That's kind of what this is talking about. You want the viewer to look at that apple. It's in the middle of a checkerboard, and it looks really different from everything else. There's also circular structure. A central design is the main focus, and everything else plays a lesser role, accentuating the beauty of this central design. In this structure, the artist must ensure that there's enough continuity between the inner focus and the outer support so that the eye can move through the design. Circular structure uses a circular design skeleton to move the eyes around the design in a clockwise manner. This 
doesn't always happen in quilts, I mean the clockwise manner, but you see circular structure a lot in quilts. And I don't mean you're making round quilts. You see a lot of Mariner's Compass quilts that have this. The key to circular structure is making sure that when you make that Mariner's Compass that it is your focal point. You have worked hard on that, on those skinny triangles, so make sure it stands out. You can make really complicated other borders or other pieces, but you can still keep that Mariner's Compass the focal point if you think about color or size or some of the other things that we've talked about. I'm also getting a picture in my head of some quilts I've seen at shows. Um, very, very traditional, almost Baltimore album style, but not where the applique is in the center, just a single applique. And often it has flowers or wreaths or something that are circular as you follow through that whole quilt. Um, and so I can easily see where that circular design comes in in a lot of traditional quilts as well as more of the, you know, the modern quilts or the, the um, art quilts that may be much more obviously circular, I guess. Yeah, we're not, when we talk about these these design elements and principles, we're not talking about only modern quilts or only art quilts. We're talking about all kinds of quilts. I mean, my example of Storm at Sea, I don't know how old that block is, but Nobody made it up in the last five years. No, it's, it's been, been around, around for a while. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that that is a great example. A lot of times those Baltimore album quilts do have a great center. I'm, I saw one once that was a ship, like a three-masted sailing ship with a wreath of flowers around it. And that talks about focus structure and circular structure, even though it's not a circular block or element, I guess. And when I say element, I mean a piece of the design field, not a design element. Right. So there's also triangular structure. The basis of your design in a triangular structure is, hey, guess, a triangle. <laughs> Yeah, so things point to one other thing. So in the design field, maybe there's a bunch of stuff at the bottom, and it all swoops up to something at the top, or vice versa. You see that kind of structure in a lot of religious art. There's also an L structure. And in an L structure, the major design focus should be along one of the arms of the L. The best placement in this kind of structure is to place the major focus close to the intersecting point of the L. Notice I said close, not at the intersecting. It makes it a lot more interesting if it's not right where those two arms of the L meet, or legs. And finally, there's horizontal and vertical structure. Use a horizontal or vertical line as your structure. The directional structure, this directional structure can be used over the entire design surface. So there's an example which I wasn't able to find on 
the internet, but it's called Layers of Time by Sylvia Naylor, and you can see it on page 38 of Adventures in Designs, Adventures in Design, which is by Joan Wolfram. And it shows this structure, but if you think of a Chinese coins quilt, which is three or four or five stacks of rectangles, it's a row quilt basically with stacks of rectangles, you'll get the idea. One of the coins in a Chinese coin quilt would have to stand out in some way. For example, be fatter than the others, be wildly different in color in order for this structure to be used to focus attention on one part of the quilt. I made, with a friend, a Chinese coins quilt all in plaid flannels for my son. And we put one red one in there. You know how flannel shirts are. They're all dark blue and gray and all these kind of boring colors. Right. So we put one red coin in there, and that became the focal point. And it was kind of, even though we're talking about horizontal and vertical structure in my quilt it was kind of above the L or the intersection of the L so it's not an L structure but it was a little bit up from the corner of the quilt so you had to um, so it was off kilter a little bit which always makes things a little bit more interesting if they're unexpected Exactly. That's exactly what we were going for. So finally, um, in using emphasis or focal point, we're at the rule of thirds. And I'm kind of on the fence of, about this, so I'm going to blame this on Joan Wolfram. She says, the rule of thirds is an easy way to find a focus range. Simply divide your design into thirds horizontally and vertically. Four intersecting points will appear. So think about a tic-tac-toe um, grid. Place your focal point in the vicinity of the most appropriate intersecting points. This, in some cases, is an easy way to figure out where to place a focal point. If you do it all the time in all of your quilts, it can be really boring, especially if people look at your quilts in a series. They might not notice. The muggles don't know, as Francis says. But right. uh, I think you just have to be careful. It's great exercise. It's great if you make a lot of postcards using this, you can really see how it works without investing a lot of time and energy into a bunch of large quilts. But use some of the other things we've talked about also. This actually is very, that's a familiar thing to me from photography, because that's one of the same things, too, is you frame somebody, like if you're taking a portrait shot, you don't put them dead center, you put them off one oh. side of the other, and that's that's part of that rule of thirds. It just makes it visually a little bit more interesting than keeping things, you know, front and center all the time. Um, and I know that's very true in photography, that as soon as I can offset something to one of those four intersections, it automatically makes it a more interesting photo. Um, but like you said, if you're doing a quilt series, you may not want to stick to that that rule completely, or at least if you do it, not do it in an always very obvious way. And I'm absolutely not saying this is bad. I'm just saying don't do it all the time. Right. 
think about some of the other structures and use those as well. And postcards are a really great way to try out some of these different structures. Yeah, we can use our postcards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can use fusible. You can do minimal quilting, and voila, it's done. And you can move on to the next one. Doing all of these in quilts, I have my hat off to people that do that. Because <laughs> you could spend your life working on all of these different things that we've talked about. Right. So I have some notes. Um, a focal point, if you didn't get this point, here it is again. A focal point, however strong, should remain related to and a part of the overall design. In general, the principle of unity in the creation of a harmonious pattern with related elements is more important than the injection of a focal point of this, if this point would jeopardize the design's unity. If you're making a two-color quilt and there's and you really don't want to put red in your blue and white quilt, go for unity over focal point. Because if you destroy the unity, people aren't going to want to look at your quilt. They won't understand what you're trying to tell them. Giving dominance to or emphasizing one design element or area will counteract confusion or the risk of monotony. You might take a risk, make it a two-color quilt, that it will be boring. But there are a lot of really great two-color quilts. And you and I have talked about um, the red and white quilt exhibit that was in New York a few years ago. I mean, that was those were amazing quilts. And they were all just red and white. So no, at least no color-related focal point. A definite focal point is not a necessity in creating a successful design. It's a tool that artists may or may not use depending on their aims. Think about what you want to communicate to your viewer and then decide what kind of focal point you need if you need one. Right. I mean, there are a lot of quilts that do benefit, like you said, more from the overall unity, the visual impact of seeing the repetition of a single block or two blocks, you know, back and forth between each other. But this is one of those things, as we've talked about before on these episodes, that if you're creating a quilt and you look at it and it just looks flat to you, you know, if it feels like something is missing, this is particularly a thing you might want to just play with. Well, what would happen if I did a block in a different color or something? Um, just to see whether maybe that'll bring a little bit more life to your finished creation. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of fabric in this world, so. <laughs> and not all of you it can... is on my shelf, so. <laughs> <laughs> Nor on mine. <laughs> so how does the designer catch a viewer's attention? Nothing is going to guarantee success, but one device that can help is a point of emphasis or a focal point. This emphasized element initially can attract attention and encourage the viewer to look further. But you still need to support that focal point. Can you create focus by establishing the difference between the featured shape and its setting? That's the unity part. In past centuries, when pictures were rare, almost any image was guaranteed attention. Today, all of us are confronted daily with hundreds of pictures. 
we don't even have to leave our house. You can just look on your hard drive at all the pictures that you've taken or you have of quilts from quilt shows or... Or Pinterest. <laughs> or Pinterest, yes, Pinterest. We take this abundance for granted and have even trained ourselves, sometimes unknowingly, to filter out imagery that is unpleasant or distracting. But it makes the artist's job more difficult. Without an audience's attention, any message, any artistic or aesthetic values are lost. This is why I rail on about drawing the viewer of your quilt into the design field and then rewarding them with small stitches or beadwork or some other tiny design elements that they only will get if they look carefully or closer at your quilt. At a quilt show, you need to get people to look at your quilt in the midst of tens or hundreds of other quilts. The part I said earlier about your eye drifting off of the design field, in a quilt show, will drift right to the next quilt. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, shiny, let me look at that right. one and then <laughs> forget the quilt that I was just looking at. Well, whenever we talk about this being drawn in, I, the first image that comes to my mind is a quilt that I saw, I believe I was in Houston last time. And mm -hmm. it, was, it wasn't a big quilt at all. It was, you know, maybe two feet tall and commensurate rectangle wide. But it was um, a, an image of a, a stone arch, kind of almost a cave, um, with trees and everything around. It was a very sort of dark background, but it just, there was something about the way it was designed that just drew you in. And I remember just walking closer and closer and closer and closer, and just, I kept looking at finer and finer detail. And that's exactly what you're talking about here, is, is how do you get people to do more than just glance at your quilt as they walk by? And small quilts are particularly difficult because they're often hung two and three high at a quilt show. So you might make a small quilt, and it is at the viewer's waist. The top of the quilt is at the viewer's waist, and there are two more on top of it. Mm -hmm. It's such a bad hanging job. But, you know, there's only limited space. So if you were drawn in by a quilt that small, that is really a great quilt mm -hmm. design-wise. So the other thing to remember is that there can be more than one focal point. Sometimes secondary points of emphasis are present that have less attention value than the focal point. These are called accents. The designer has to be careful, though, because several focal points of equal emphasis can turn the design into a three-ring circus in which the viewer doesn't know where to look first. Or it could just be like a one-block quilt. You might have gone to all this trouble to create a focal point and accents, and they all look the same, and so you might as well have just made a nine-patch quilt. So if you do have more than one focal point, you still have to have one be the primary Correct. Point. Right. Okay. Correct. And those secondary focal points um, can support the main one but provide variation so that our eyes can be attracted to the main focus area. So it's almost like what we were talking about before, where those other points of emphasis still function in terms of they may grab your eye, but then they lead your eye towards 
what the real focus point is. Correct. Okay. Scale and proportion are closely tied to emphasis and focal point. Large scale, especially large scale in proportion to other elements, makes for an obvious visual emphasis. This is really popular in modern quilts right now. And it's also very interesting uh, in the way that the modern quilt makers are kind of uh, tying back to some of the modern art that I've seen in, in museums. Um, I don't know what era, but 60s to the present, a lot of artists would create something really big, and then, and now the modern quilters are doing something similar. They'll make one really big block, or one really big block, and then a bunch of smaller blocks that are the same pattern. It's interesting to see the relationship between other types of art and how quilt making is evolving. Which is why, once again, we want to send people to art museums. Yes. <laughs> we keep saying that. and these Go to art museums. Go see what's going on. Yeah. I mean, they have free... I don't know about in everyone's area, but in our area, they have free days. And you can just go, just go for an hour or... I can walk to some galleries on my lunch hour, and I do that sometimes just to go see what's there and get some fresh view. Well, and I found I just recently took myself on an artist date to my art gallery, and now I'm thinking I'd like to go back a few times in a row, but every time be looking for something specific and different. So this time, you know, after this, I might go back and look at all these same paintings I've looked at before, but to say, okay, focal point. You know, I'm going to look at how do they do focal point. And the next time I might say, how do they do contrast? I think it really helps to have specific things you are studying while you're there to look at how different artists have, have done this. Because it's easy it, to get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, and it's good to look at it in different media as well, because then when you're back in your studio and you're designing a quilt, you might think, oh yeah, I remember that portrait and how the lady had a flower which was really quite large and that made an accent to her as the focal point you know, or, or something. Right. Something that inspires you in your own work. So the last, not the last point because we've talked about it before, but what I really want to leave your listeners with is Emphasizing one element or letting one area dominate others sends an invitation to the viewer to come in and take a closer, longer look at the work. And that is what you want when you make something. We want people to stand and look. We don't want them to glance, walk by, and say, well, that was nice. Let me move on to the next. Exactly. Right. So again, we've, we've been trying to emphasize throughout all of this design series that, that when people think design elements, and I've had this happen when I've talked to people in my guild, and I've said, well, I'm studying design principles, and they'll say, oh, well, I'm not an art quilter. These apply across the board. It does not matter what type of quilt maker you tend to be, you know, if you um, really focus on one particular type of quilting over another. They, they apply across the board. So I would love to hear, um, you know, if you're a traditional quilter listener, I'd love to have you look at some of your quilts and say, is there a focal point? Or if you're designing a quilt now or, or looking at a pattern, creating one from a pattern, and look at it and say, 
you know, does this have a focal point? Does it need a focal point? What would happen if I made one? Um, and just kind of play with the concepts like that. I think it would be a lot of fun. It's a little more easy to figure out what this means in terms of art quilting, um, because that's the way we're used to thinking. But in terms of traditional and modern quilting, we may not be used to thinking like that. And so we need to to look at our quilts differently um, and, and look and at the, these things. And the examples that we've used have run the gamut. You right. brought up an art quilt, and I used modern quilt examples and traditional quilt block pattern examples. Right. So we can all benefit from knowing more about design. I would love to, listeners, if, you know, you can um, obviously leave comments to the episode, but it would be interesting if you would post in Flickr or um, send me an email or post to Pinterest and send us the Pinterest link or whatever quilts you've done that you feel exemplify any of these things that we're talking about anywhere through this series. Um, I think I noticed, Jay, you have a pin board now, don't you, on Pinterest for design elements, for things you've been pinning around design elements? Yeah, I do. It's I think it's called Design Examples. Okay, so those and it's specific, who are on Pinterest, look for that. <laughs> it's specifically for this, um, this series of podcasts, so that at least I have in my mind some examples as I'm working on the, the notes. Um, and I try, when I can, to put them in the blog post. You know, I can't always, people aren't always wanting to share, me to share, but we do our best. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and I think, you know, I'm I'm now thinking maybe I need to go. I try not to spend a whole lot of time on Pinterest because it can really be a time suck. But <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, this wouldn't be a bad pin board for me to start as well just for my own uh, study to say, okay, I'm going to do a pin board around focal point. What what pictures can I find that exemplify that to my to me? Um, mm-hmm. So again, listeners, we're we're encouraging you to play along with the game show that we call the design series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's all to help you make better quilts or at least understand the choices that you're making. A lot of us are very intuitive when we make our quilts, and that's great. But if you want to get that thing that you got last time when you made that last quilt, knowing a little bit about what you did, helps. Right. Okay, do you have anything else you want to add about this topic? Nope, I think I said it all. Well, all that I have, I'm sure there's way more to say. (laughs) There's there's always so much more that can be said. But again, we're just trying to start the conversation, listeners. Please do comment. Please let us know. Look at your own quilts. Look at other quilts. Um, Go to shows. And like we've said, go to art galleries, go to sculpture exhibits, go to botanical gardens. That was the other thing I was going to say as we were talking about focal points. I'm currently reading a book um, called The Devil in the White City that talks about the uh, Chicago World's Exhibition back in the Mm -hmm. late 1800s. And um, Olmsted was the uh, landscape architect for it. And he did Central Park. He did a park here in our city. And it talks a lot about his design plans for the landscaping at the Columbia Exposition, and it was all about focal points. It was all about how do we draw visitors' eyes to the things we want them to see and notice. And so as you were talking about that, I kept thinking, oh, gardens, yeah, botanical gardens is exactly the same thing. 
Um, yeah, and I think a lot of quilt makers are gardeners, and they would have some very interesting things to say about this topic. I know that gardening, you don't just throw something in the ground and hope for the best. You really have to design your garden if you want it to. So that's where called... wrong. <laughs> I do just sort of throw things in the ground <laughs> hope for the best. I, I don't consider I myself just a gardener either. <laughs> No, I'm not a gardener. Anybody who would like to tend to my garden, get in touch. Hey, you were inviting us over to bake bread in your house earlier on Twitter, so. Yeah, I just want everybody to do everything for me so I can just sew all the time. Right, we'll just all descend on Jay's house and, and we'll bake and we'll have pretty, pretty flowers. It'll be fun. <laughs> Okay, I, I guess I just have to think about growing things right now because I am freezing. I'm sitting here with, you know, long johns and space heaters and gloves and hoodies on because it's about 10 degrees outside. So the the idea of flowers is, is a wonderful hope for the future for me. Yeah, it'll come. It'll, it'll come. come. It'll come. All right, well, I think we will end this design episode here. We do actually, listeners, have a few more ready to go. So hopefully we'll be back on some sort of more or less schedule with these um, going into 2014. That'd be great. Thanks a lot, Sandy. All right, thank you very much, Jay. Have a great day. You too. I want to uh, just say once again, thank you, Jay, for taking the time not only to do this episode, but two more <laughs> all at once. We had we had spent a lot of time together last weekend, Jay and I, um, but really glad to have those uh, in, in, in hand so that I can post them later at other times that I'm going to be out of town in the next couple of months. Um, for all of our listeners, please do be part of the conversation. Jay and I said that many times during our interview or during our conversation about the design principles, and we really, really mean it. We would like to see pictures um, of your own quilts or um, if you're able to share them. And I know there's rules about this, but if, if you've got photos of quilts you've seen at quilt shows or whatever that you are able to share publicly, um, that you think exemplify any of these things we're talking about, please share them. You can post them to Flickr and then put the link in a comment to this episode. Um, you can send us emails. You can do it however you see fit. And, of course, visit Jay's board on Pinterest. And you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, Flickr, all of those places, and Craftsy. I am Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group in Flickr. And you can, of course, join the Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you will find links for all of those things at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. So as I continue along my way driving home from Massachusetts, I want to um, say to everybody, I hope you're doing some wonderful quilty things today. And until next episode, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.